Again, that's Exodus 19, starting with 1 through 8, and then we'll hop to 16 through 19. Please stand for the reading of God's word. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words so that you t- these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people are people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Now verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing? We got some fun people in the house. Papa's back having Jim on bass was so great, as Rice said. Um, I've got family in town right here that's so fun, I'm an embarrassed. So, you know, my cousin Tyler Mounts and Rachel, they've been up in L.A., but they're here for the morning. Everyone at Grace now knows me as Tyler's cousin, so that's why I'm Tyler's cousin, but they're here. And then with his folks, uh, Bill and Robin, my uncle and aunt, uh, Bill has preached here before. And then my other cousin, Kiersey's here from Germany, haven't seen her for a couple years. I'm literally saying hi right now for the first time, so she's been in town. So, And now I've thoroughly embarrassed you all. And uh, so glad you're here. So fun. Um, but great to be here. There's some, there's, I'm kind of confused right now. There's some second service people that are here at first service right now. So I, I'm very thrown off right now. So I don't know. What, yeah, I'm not sure what this is about. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm just going to keep going. I don't know. I'm very confused right now and thrown off. So I'm just going to say that. All right, uh, we are in this series uh, in the life of Moses, uh, and gosh, I feel like every passage we come to, I, I want to say, like, this is such a foundational passage, and it is, and that's certainly true in this passage today. Um, what I want to do, uh, before I jump into this, I, I want to just, like, ask the big picture question. I think regularly, we need to ask ourselves, what story am I in? Like, what, what, what story do I think I'm a part of? 
And that feels really kind of like abstract maybe, but it really does impact like what I pursue in my days. It impacts how I respond to things that happen in my life, circumstances that come my way. It kind of depends on, well, it kind of depends on what story I think I'm, I'm living in. And, and part of why we gather every Sunday here and why we sing these songs, why we read the scriptures, it's to remind ourselves of what story we're in, whose story we're in. And today I want to focus in on this word in verse 5. It's a very important word. It's the word covenant. God says, keep my covenant. And this is what I want to offer today is this is the story that we're in. We're in a covenant story. We're in a story with a God who makes a covenant with a group of people, okay? So you guys know the story. It begins, God creates the world. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's good, right? That's part one. Part two, humanity chooses independence from God. We choose to go our own way. And now this beautiful place is still beautiful, but it's also messy and broken and sinful and all of that. That's part two. But part three, God is in the process of redeeming the world He's working in the world. The way he's doing that is by entering into a covenant with a group of people who together learn to know him and love him and live out his life in their community for the sake of the world so that the blessings of that community might spread to the world. That's, that's the covenant story we're in. And um, I want to talk about covenant today. And uh, verse 4 through 6 is where I'm going to focus. You probably don't have those verses memorized, but I promise you those are some of the most foundational verses in the Old Testament, okay, or at least in in my humble opinion. Um, So I'll be focusing in on these core aspects of what it means to be a covenant people. But before I do that, I just want us to, I want to remind us of the the weightiness of, of what it means to be in a covenant, Okay. And for us today, the the one covenant that we're all still very familiar with is the covenant of marriage. And it's a sacred covenant. It's becoming less sacred in Western society, right, for the most part. We know that, how that's changing. But but still, we feel the the sacredness of this human-to-human covenant. There's a sacredness to the intimacy of that covenant. There's a sacredness to the the commitment, like for better, for worse, right? For until death do us part. There's a, there's a sacred weightiness to that covenant, and there's nothing more sacred and more weighty than the covenant that a group of people can have with the living God of the universe. And I want us to just be reminded of that today. This is a weighty, sacred thing. Uh, that God's people are brought into and being in relationship with God. And I, I say that because I think um, part of what's happening in this moment, uh, this is Mount Sinai, my, Mount Sinai is, is God is trying to impress on the people the weightiness of the covenant, the sacredness of who he is and what it means to be in a relationship with him. What passage was that? <laughs> better be, okay, I was going to say, it better be in Exodus. Yeah. No, no, you're good. Um, it was a sacred moment you just ruined. <laughs> J K J slash K. Um, I was I was saying it, it feels like so much of what's happening on Mount Sinai is God is really trying to help Israel feel the weightiness of who he is and what it means to be in a covenant relationship with him. Let me just read again verse 16. I mean, 
Think about this. Imagine this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountains, Mount Sinai, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like uh, smoke, yeah, like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As at the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, gosh, wow, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him back from the mountain. Just imagine what that experience would have been for the Israelites. Multi-sensory, palpable experience of the presence of God. I was thinking about like all the senses were involved, right? Like they, they saw the, the lightning, they heard the trumpet blast. They, they could feel in their bodies the quaking. Um, they could smell, maybe even taste the, the smoke of the fire, right? This very palpable experience of God's presence. And then it, it's so interesting. In chapter 20, then God thunders the Ten Commandments to them, okay? And jump to uh, chapter 20, verse 18. I want you to see what the, the people's response to the presence of God is. Uh, 2018, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we will die. Okay, you, 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 do, you talk to him, tell us what he says. And, and Moses says something fascinating to me, so interesting. Look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Huh. So don't fear, people. Why? Because God has come so that you would fear him, right? So apparently there's, there's a fear of God that you're not supposed to feel in this moment, and there's a fear of God that you're supposed to feel in this moment. Okay, don't be afraid. God's not going to fly off the handle and just wipe you out willy-nilly. You, you, you don't, don't be terrified. But yeah, fear the Lord. Stand in awe and reverence. In fact, that's why he's doing it this way. So that, that, that healthy sense of reverence might motivate you to obey him. So don't fear and fear. And throughout the scriptures, you see that interesting tension in the Old and New Testament of those two things. I mean, maybe the most repeated command in all of scripture possibly is, don't be afraid. Constantly, fear not, fear not, fear not. And one of the most common phrases in the Bible, in Old and New, is the fear of the Lord. (laughs) Right? Sense of awe, wonder, reverence, trust, joy, hope, friendship, worship, okay? It's this, this kind of this stock biblical phrase that says this is a right relationship with God. And so um, that's what we're called into in covenant. Don't be afraid. He loves you. He's committed to you. And stand in awe of who he is. And, and stand in awe of the sacredness of the covenant, the relationship that he's formed with you. And we might be tempted to think, well, that's Old Testament, right? God was kind of angry. He's gotten a little softer in his his old age. New Testament, that's gone, right? But let me just read to you. Um, This is Hebrews 12, okay? You don't have to go there. I'll read it to you. And the the author is drawing right on this very scene in Sinai. Listen to how he describes the relationship now. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and a storm to a trumpet blast, 
or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken, right? That's talking about everything you just said. But now you, New, New Covenant Christians, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And then he says this, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks to you, God. For if they didn't escape, the Israelites back then, when they refused him, when he warned them on earth, how much more less we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Therefore, I'm skipping a little bit, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That is new covenant Christian language. We've got something even better and bigger, right? Eternal. That was a temporary covenant. We have this eternal covenant through the blood of Jesus, righteous people, right? The firstborn. So what do we do? We worship in awe. We treat this as sacred, for our God is still a consuming fire, right? And so I think in the church, I guess my, the main thing I want to do today is just impress on us the sacredness of who our God is and the sacredness of this, this covenant relationship that we have with him. And in the church, there's always the danger that we will fear God inappropriately, that there's people who are always constantly afraid of his judgment, and there's so much in the new covenant that says, no, no, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, right? You've been given a different kind of spirit. It cries out, Abba, Father, we can trust God. Um, but as I look around the church, at least in America, I see the opposite danger, that we've got a, a bunch of people who are tempted to treat very sacred things lightly and casually and flippantly. And so I want to say this is a sacred thing that we're a part of. And all I want to do today is just kind of, I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before, but just to remind us, like, what is covenant, what's it like to be in covenant? What does that feel like? What's the experience like? What's the deep understanding of that like? And we get to ask ourselves, am I in covenant with God? Do I, do I have a covenant relationship or, or no? And we have the opportunity to, to lean into that. So that's what I want to do this morning. And I want to look at those, those three verses again, verses 4, 5, and 6. Go back to chapter 19. And I'm just going to draw out three, I'd say three core dynamics of being in covenant with God. Three core realities. And these are super basic, but... Essential, I think. And I'll just, we'll take it one verse at a time. So here's the first one. Look at verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Okay, love that. That's my favorite line in this, in this chapter. And this is the first dynamic is the, the gracious initiative of God in, in rescuing his people and drawing them to himself, okay? This is the, the core dynamic of the covenant. It is, it is God-initiated. It is thoroughly grace-based, right? This, this is what I did for you. He says, you yourselves, to these Israelites, you yourselves have seen, right? And they, they had seen that, right? They had known decades of oppression 
and Egypt. They'd known decades of slavery, and they knew the experience of feeling helpless and really feeling hopeless, not really looking around saying, there's nothing I can do to, to change this circumstance. And then they had the experience of this God who was probably somewhat unknown to a lot of them, all of a sudden just kind of hearing their cries, stooping down, and through acts of power, right, mighty deeds, these, these epic uh, the judgments on Egypt, taking them, rescuing them, doing something for themselves that they never could have done for themselves. And it was all his grace and his mercy and his power. And they, they knew it. They experienced it. And so he's reminding them, you saw this, how I brought you out of Egypt. And then my favorite part of this line is this. And where did he bring him to? And I brought you to what? To myself. I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you to myself. And I think about, like, what was the ultimate destination of the Exodus? And the temptation to say, well, the ultimate destination was the promised land, right? You're going from Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land, and physically that's true. But here God's reminding them, the ultimate destination out of Egypt is me, <laughs> right? The reason I brought you out of Egypt is so that I might bring you to myself, this is the goal of redemption, is that you would know me, that you would love me, that you would follow me, that you would enjoy covenant with me, right? The ultimate promised land was always me, God is saying. I mean, and he was going to give him the promised land, of course. But the whole point of their redemption was that God might bring them to himself. And that is the first kind of core reality of what covenant is like. It's, it's being rescued, uh, in a way that we could never do for ourselves, and being brought to God, as he says to them, now you will be my people, and I will be your God. And that's what covenant's about. Uh, covenant is not about, for instance, just going to church, right? Or um, finding a community that's got a safe place for my kids. Um, or uh, seeing some principles of life that, that seem right to me, um, or, or any number of things, as, as good as those things can be, um, covenant is about at some point in your life, whether you're five, whether you're 85, experiencing the person of God stepping into your life and, and doing things in you and for you that you realize you could never do for yourself. That's what covenant is like. And, and fundamentally bringing you to himself so that he is now the thing that you want. And so many of us in this room could talk about that experience. And, and there's, there's no formula for that experience, okay? So there's not, there's, there's not a bunch of things you need to be able to check off, right? For some of us, that was a, a radically um, practical experience. We were living a life. We were living a certain life. And at some point, God just stepped in and he pulled us out of that life and pulled us into a new life. And it was, it was such a tangible practical thing. For some of us, it was a very emotional experience, right? We, um, we all of a sudden, we, we were flooded by the love of God in our hearts. Um, some of us, it was more of an intellectual experience. We, we came to, to truly understand our need for our God, our brokenness and sin, and the way that Jesus is the solution to that. And that, that became really intellectually compelling. We, we came to believe it, not just as an idea, but as reality, as a truth. For us. So there's, there's a million different ways this looks. But 
in some sense, if you're in covenant with God, you have this core sense in your life that my life is owed to the gracious hand of God working in my life. And now, ultimately, he's what I want. Like he himself is what I want. That's what covenant is like. And as we read the story, we'll realize that with, with Israel, um, so many of the Israelites didn't really want God. They didn't really want Yahweh. They wanted, they wanted to be rescued. They wanted bread <laughs> in the wilderness. Um, we saw that last week. They, they want a promised land, right? They want a place to call their own. Um, but they didn't really want God himself. And um, that's what cultural Christianity, Christianity feels like. Cultural Christianity is, my life is going on along kind of okay. And... Um, and I'm going to bring this God and this idea of God into my life to enhance my life, <laughs> right? Because I, I, there's some compelling ideas about this, or I think I'll have more meaning in life. I'll have richer community. Well, and there's that thing called etern- uh, forgiveness, which is awesome, and eternal life, that's even better, right? But God is sort of brought in to enhance this, this journey I'm already on. And covenant, covenant is very different than that. Covenant is like, no, no. <laughs> whether it happened in a moment, whether it happened over the course of years, whether it kind of happened when I was really young, at some point I had this clear sense, man, I've been rescued by a God, and now ultimately he's what I want. I forget that sometimes, right? Sometimes I want the things of the world, but deep in my core, what I want is God because he's brought me to himself. Okay, so that's the first just fundamental dynamic of covenant. Grace initiated, God initiated, bringing us to himself. Let's look at the second dynamic, verse 5. The dynamic is obedience. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, right? Obey me fully, God says. And the second dynamic is this. So, yes, the rescue was a sheer act of grace and mercy. God initiated, God empowered, God did that. But the second aspect of covenant is this. That grace in our lives has all kinds of implications for how we now live our lives, And here's the implication. Well, God brought us to himself. So what that means now is that all of life needs to now be reoriented around Yahweh. This God entered our lives, rescued us, brought us to himself. So now everything needs to change. Everything has to be reoriented. We might say the furniture of our lives, now that the Lord has come in, needs to be radically moved around so that, that God is now at the center of our lives. And what we're going to get in chapter 20 and then the next several chapters is a series of commands. Here's what obedience looks like, right? Beginning with the Ten Commandments, uh, and then you get uh, a lot of other commands. And really what you're, you're learning in these is, here's what obedience looks like, and if you read these, these commands, you'll realize they encapsulate every area of life, okay? Your finances, the use of your tongue, your families, your marriages, your work, your employment, um, your, your care for those who are vulnerable, your friendships, every aspect of life is now brought under obedience to, to Yahweh. And uh, if you've read the next couple books in the Bible, you know uh, there's a lot of commands, right? It's a, kind of a dizzying uh, slog fest through a couple of these, uh, these uh, books. That's why I have many of you who try the one-year Bible, you always end it like at the end of February. You're quick because you get into Leviticus and you're like, I'm out. You know, it's like, it's just so much, Right? Um, but what I, what I, we're not going to go through all those commands, but to keep it big picture, what I want to remind you about all those commands 
Uh, even in the Old Covenant, I would argue, is um, even in all those, it was, the motivation was always supposed to be grace and gratitude, right? I mean, verse 4 comes before verse 5. I rescued you. I didn't rescue you when you were obeying me. I, I rescued you, and then I called you into obedience, and that even for Israel, that was, that was the way it went. This, was, this, is, this covenant is an act of God's grace. And our obedience is out of gratitude for, for what, what God has done for us. The Ten Commandments don't begin with a command, right? They begin with these, this word. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, right? Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. So grace was always the motivation for obedience. And then the other thing I, I think is important to say is you like try to tease through all these commands, is um, it was never about like an external conformity to a bunch of rules and regulations. The essence of obedience was always about just simply imitating the God who had rescued us. Like at the heart of obedience was God has brought us in a relationship with him, so all we're trying to do is trying to learn who he is, understand his character and ways, and we're trying to become like the God who's rescued us. The kind of fundamental command is this, be holy because what? Because I'm holy, right? I've called you to myself, and now we're in relationship. And so I want you to be like me. You're my kids. Kids should look like their dad, right? That's kind of the heart of, of what obedience, even in the Old Covenant, I would argue, is all about, okay? So it's grace-based. It's essentially just trying to imitate our Father. Um, but my point here is, is that God's grace has huge implications for how we now live our lives. And so what covenant feels like is, is this. Now that God's grabbed a hold of my life, uh, well, my life isn't my own anymore, right? I don't get to decide whatever I want to do. I don't get to just talk to people however I want. I don't get to just spend my money however I want. God has called me to himself. All that stuff now needs to get reoriented around Yahweh. All of it. Okay? That's what covenant feels like. And again, you, you watch Israel, <laughs> and you as a lot of them weren't stoked on obedience, okay? Um, again, they loved the gracious hand of God in their lives, but to really reorient their, their lives and their whole society around God was, was really hard for them to do, um, as it is for anybody. And that's what cultural Christianity um, looks and feels like. It feels like, oh, this is cool, so I can have a God um, who forgives me uh, through the cross, and so now... Everything I do can be forgiven, and I can go to heaven. Um, who doesn't want that, right? So yes to that, and um, awesome. Now I can go on with life, and I don't have to feel guilty anymore. I keep doing things I was doing before, and I've, I've got a, a free forgiveness card, right? That's what cultural Christianity feels like. Covenant Christianity feels very differently. No, God has changed my life. I, I want to please him. I, I want to obey him. I want to, as I think about decisions, I run them through the filter of, gosh, is this, is this going to bring God joy? Is this something that God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, I love that. That's, that's kind of what I measure my decisions by, of course, because I love him, not because I'm trying to perform for him or something. I already have his, his approval. I, I, I want to please him. <laughs> I'm so grateful for what he's done. That's what covenant, a covenant experience is like. All right, so we have one, God calls them, rescues them, brings them to himself out of sheer grace. Two, there's this, there's this call to obedience. 
And then three, and finally, um, there's then this vocation, this role that he gives his covenant people in the world. Um, Look at uh, the end of verse five. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay? That's the role I've given you in the world. A kingdom of priests. Now, what does that mean? We talked about that actually in 1 Peter a couple months ago. A kingdom of priests. And Israel would come to learn that they, they would have priests in their nation, right? And really what the priests were in Israel, they would serve as kind of a bridge between God and the people. They'd be like a mediator between God and the people. They would bring the words of God to the people, the teachings of God to the people, and they'd bring the sacrifices of the people to God, right? So they were kind of, they experienced God's presence, and they, they would mediate that presence uh, to the people. So the priests were, uh, a lot of the ways of how the people experienced God was through the priests. And so it seems to me that God is saying here is this, is what, what your priests will be for you you as a whole nation are to be for the rest of the nations. You're, you're a kingdom of priests. He says, the whole earth is mine. Meaning, I actually, I love you guys, but I, I have a heart for the whole world. And all the peoples of the world are mine. And I have a plan for the nations. I have a plan for the whole world. And that plan involves you. <laughs> I brought you to myself so that you might obey me. And through that peculiar life that you will live, that distinctive life, the nations will come and they'll see how great I am. I'm looking for my uh, slider. I don't have it. Golden, can you? Oh, there it is, Sky. Oh, Drew, we got this. We got this. Gosh, so strong. <laughs> uh, look at this. This is in Deuteronomy. This, this, is, this is how this is going to work. Observe these laws carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? Right? That was always the vision for Israel. Right? I've called you to myself. I want you to live very differently but you're doing that right in the sight of the nations for the sake of the nations. They may be drawn to your God. That was, the, that was always the plan, beginning with the first Israelite, right? Abraham, right? I'm calling you out. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And so this is the third aspect of covenant. It is to be called to God, to live a holy life, and then to be sent out into the world with a, a very distinctive vocation. Priests, right? We get to be the way that people who don't know Jesus experience Jesus is through us as we reflect his truth and his love and his grace and his joy, right? His patience, all, all that these laws were inviting the people into. And again, you look at Israel for the most part, and, and maybe especially with this one, they, they really, as you know the story, they really failed to ever grasp their role in the world. And they really locked on to chosen people in, in the Old Covenant and, and thought, we are, we are special, we are different. And, and they really lived insular lives and looked on the nations with a lot of judgment and self-righteousness. And so they never really fully embraced this, this identity. 
Um, and this can be what, what cultural Christianity looks like, is, um, you know, we've got, we've got these things we know are true, and then we can just look at on the world um, with judgment, right? Um, we've got this, and they don't, we, this is why we hear horror stories about the church these days that, that are out there, um, is that you've got people who are, who are living um, kind of self-righteous lives, looking on the rest of the world with judgment. But that's not what covenant is like. Um, covenant is, is being called to God and then looking out at the world uh, with the love of God, the truth of God as well, the grace of God, and having a sense that I have something to do with what's going to hopefully bring this world to Jesus. And so as we move out into all of our social interactions, whether that's at work, whether that's even at church, whether that's at a party, whether that's uh, with our neighbors, we, we have a, a pretty strong sense of identity in those moments. Like, I, I might be used in this moment to offer some small reflection of who Jesus is to this person. So that really shapes my conduct, shapes how I see them and how I treat them. I was thinking, I was just seeing this role this week, I was thinking, I, I'm really grateful that I'm not an Anglican or, or um, in the Catholic Church where I wear a collar everywhere I go, you know, a, a priestly collar. Um, I, I, that would be hard for me. But, but there is something um, visually compelling about that, right? That this, this person is marked off for God. And every, everyone kind of <laughs> engages a person with a collar um, knowing a certain thing about, uh, some things about them. And I think that in some ways there's something right about that, um, certainly from a spiritual standpoint, that we would, we would engage our social interactions with a sense of, no, I'm, I'm distinct, but my distinction is, is for the sake of these people, is to seek to love them and serve them. You with me? All right, so um, there we have it, just kind of three core aspects of what being a covenant people is like. So what story are you living right now? Is that the story you're in? This is, that's the story we're, we're being in, invited into. It is, it is a sacred story, not to be treated lightly, but to be pursued with joy, um, but also with reverence and awe. Um, I want to leave you with 1 Peter 2. Okay, this is New Covenant, but listen, all the same language, exact same ideas uh, being uh, put out here. I just want to leave this with you, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move towards communion. Okay, this is the New Covenant Christians. This is, this is Exodus 19 right here in First Peter version. You are a chosen people, and I want to speak this over us today. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's all Exodus 19. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Where does he go after this? Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Here's the obedience, right? Which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. This is the vocation. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, right? All the same stuff now in the new covenant. This is the call of God's covenant people then and today. This is the story we're a part of. I want to embrace this ide- identity and enter into this story. So I mean, let's, uh, let's take a moment of prayer and I'll, I'll move us towards communion.
So I'd invite you just to take a moment and um, just sit with, maybe there's, there's one, one thing about covenant that is kind of sticking with you right now from this passage, from what God did with the people. And why don't you just sit with that with the Lord? It might be, maybe you have been too casual. Um, maybe you, you want to embrace your role in the world. It could, it could be anything, but just take a moment and see what, what does the Lord maybe have for you right now in this season of your life, and then I'll close this. Lord, we are your people. You are our God. We ask your spirit to work in and among us today where we need to be called back into covenant or maybe called into covenant for the first time, Lord. Would you graciously uh, bring us to yourself, especially as we come to the tables today and, and receive communion. So do your work among us, Lord, now as we worship you in response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to have communion, and this is, a, this is a covenant meal, is what this is. This is the meal that we participate as members of the covenant with our Lord Jesus. So um, if you would, sorry, I've already done plenty of teaching today, but just jump to uh, chapter 24 for a second. I, I want you to, to see how <laughs> this scene ends and then connect it with communion. Uh, go to chapter 24. Go to verse, we'll go to verse 3. So there's still, God has given them the commandments. They've heard about the, the covenant. And this is sort of this covenantal ceremony that takes place. Look at this. This is gnarly. Awesome. When Moses went, this is verse 3, went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has done, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli as bright as blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. Okay? So this is like a covenantal ceremony in blood. And, and what strikes, there's a couple things that strike me about this. First is, of course, the, this covenant of blood. Can you imagine? The bowls being sacrificed, and, and then actually 
blood is sprinkled on you, right? This is a covenantal ceremony moment, sacred moment. Blood is sprinkled on you. And then did you hear the the words of the people twice? Everything the Lord said, we will do. And I read that, I'm like, shoot, right? (laughs) Best of intentions, right? And we know the way this story is going to go. They said it back in chapter 19. I don't know if you picked up in the first passage too. Everything the Lord said, we're going to do it. And I think they meant it. They absolutely meant it in that moment. And uh, they didn't even come close. And so they would learn this, this tricky, <laughs> wild relationship with a God who is really holy and them who can't keep their word again and again and again failing. And yet this God who is also gracious and, and forgives through the blood of sacrifice. And so all these sacrifices again and again offered, and they have to learn what it's like to be sinful, broken people living in close relationship with a perfect holy God, experiencing that holiness, but also experiencing that forgiveness. And that would be their journey. Okay, so here we are, thousands of years later, eating this meal. And Jesus, almost 2,000 years after this, is celebrating a Passover meal with his disciples, right? And in Luke's gospel, he gives them the cup of wine, and he says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, okay? Another blood covenant. Now, through his own blood that we are sprinkled with. And I think of the disciples in that moment. I think of Peter. And remember what Peter said? Lord, even if all these guys fall away, I'll never fall away. I got this, Lord. I'll obey. I'll stick by you through thick and thin. And 24 hours later, he would come to full terms with his brokenness and his cowardice and his fear. And he would learn forgiveness of this, this holy and beautiful forgiving God. And, and this, is, this is really the story of covenant with God, right? Here we are, and we really have the best of intentions, We really do for the most part. And we find ourselves continuing to fail day after day. And God is no less holy now than he was back then. But he's also full of forgiveness. And now we have the blood of his son that washes us clean once for all. And so we go on in relationship with God as the the broken partners in this covenant, experiencing grace upon grace upon grace, being called back again to recommit to the covenant, to obey the Lord, falling again, coming back again. This is, this is our story until Christ returns. And so you're invited to these tables. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you want to put your trust in Jesus Christ, come to the table. You can take a bit of the bread. It represents the, the body of Christ. You can take a cup. It represents the blood of Christ. But this is, a, this is a, a, a covenantal meal where Jesus wants to fellowship with you. He wants to draw near to you. He wants to forgive you. So this can be an opportunity to experience forgiveness, to confess. It can be an opportunity to recommit. Uh, Whatever you need to do with the Lord, this table is available for you. So um, we're going to sing a couple of different songs. Uh, We've got some time. Um, So why don't we stand? And um, whenever you want, um, you can come. And remember, we have the prayer team. Prayer team, if you guys want to open those doors right now, um, they're back there. Take advantage of that. We've got uh, traces over here is available to pray. And all of this is uh, responsive worship. So when you're ready, come to the tables. Mm-hmm.